It's Daily Thunder, thundering out the truth of Jesus Christ live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more about our discipleship programs or to support this podcast, visit ellerslie.com. Now, here's Eric Looney. All right. <clears throat> so, uh, I'm continuing the Marvel of Manliness series, uh, if only for the reason that I love the title of the series, and it's a very fun series to go through. I, I'm not going to go on forever, but I still have two more mapped out after this. Uh, so, uh, but I'm really enjoying uh, this series. And uh, you'll notice, I wanted to draw attention. I'm really hoping I'm, I'm correct. Uh, Nathan, you might need to double check me, and then I can correct it while I'm, I'm going if it's not. I think this is episode 199. Uh, and so that means tomorrow's episode with Nathan on Thanksgiving morning is 200. Isn't that cool? Uh, so you don't want to miss uh, episode 200 of the Daily Thunder. So, uh, <clears throat> but define impossibilities. So this is something that I have uh, chewed on for years. Uh, this is a very deep thing inside of me, as is most of what we were talking about in the Uh, Marvel of Manliness series, just because this is a topic that is of great importance to me. At the center of my soul, uh, this is a a very big deal. Uh, But this whole idea of impossible, because the idea of impossible means impossible. If you define it according to Webster's Dictionary, uh, even if you go all the way back to 1828 uh, Webster's Dictionary, you're going to find that it means it cannot be done in the natural realm by natural ability it falls into a territory of impossibility, which means it's only the engagement of the supernatural into the natural that would enable it to be possible, which is by definition the very essence of what Christianity is. It is the invasion of a supernatural realm into a natural realm, enabling that which is natural to behave in a way that is altogether different than it normally would. That is impossible. In other words, what we are called to do is impossible. But it's not because we can do it. It's because the God of the impossible has invaded our life, filled our very body, made it his home, and then he does in and through us what we could never do on our own. Okay, So that becomes important here because there are going to be times in life where you're going to be staring at impossibilities. And there is a way that a man... And I'm going to use that loosely because we're going to talk about the man, Jesus. There is a a way that the man should handle that situation. There is something that should rise up within us, and it's faith, that should doggedly despise the impossibilities, defy them. And so one of my favorite illustrations of that uh, in written history is actually in Josephus' account of the Red Sea, where it says that... Uh, Moses despised the, I don't remember exactly if the phrase is, he despised the impossibilities, but he, he basically is just going to spurn them. It's like, well, who cares? That we're backed up against the Red Sea, we have mountains on both sides, and we have the most powerful military force coming against us, and we have no weapons. Why should that cause us to fear now? Do we not remember that the God of the universe is the one who has led us here, and he possesses this place? And if he wanted, he could have these mountains uh, totally laid flat. If he wanted, he could fly us out of here, the entire nation of us. Or if he wanted, he could part this sea and we could walk across on dry land. That's how Josephus describes it. And whatever that response is inside of Moses, 
That's what I desire inside of me. That when I face the impossible and the impossible obstacle is staring me in the face, that I can laugh at it, that I can defy it the way David defied Goliath. So the father burden. This is something that uh, I have felt many, many times and usually when I'm laying in bed at night uh, and I'm thinking about how much more my kids need in order to thrive in their spiritual development, in their practical development, as a parent, you almost always, and I've only been a parent in one body, so I've never been another person to parent others. I don't know how everyone else feels, but I have a hunch that there isn't a parent out there that feels like they're just doing it perfectly. Because if your desire or your design or your vision for parenting is a godly one, then you're going to always feel like uh, you're falling short. And so I call that the father burden. You could call it the father ache. But it's trembling at the call of raising a boy up to be a man, raising a girl up to be a woman, however you would want to phrase it. But it's, it's recognizing that you need to do something beyond what you have the capacity to do. So as a result, in every facet of manhood, you're going to face these impossibles. And I could say in every facet of Christianity, you're going to face these impossibles. So the attitude of the man towards the impossible is of great importance. The deficiency. Can you possibly train a boy to go beyond where you are at as a man? So if, let's say my vision for training my boys is that they would be something so superior to what I've ever grown up to be and what I have become. My vision for manhood is higher than I live which is a frustrating thing for the life of Eric Ludi, knowing that I desire to be fully mature, I desire to be perfect, and yet I'm not yet. I'm in the process of sanctification. I'm not fully sanctified. I'm in a process of being perfected. I'm not perfected. And so as a result, I look at Jesus and I say, like that. And yet Eric Ludi still has weaknesses, vulnerabilities, uh, susceptibilities, and I want my boys to go beyond where I have reached. But there's a deficiency that is inerrant and innate to the development of a man at any point in time. And that is, can we train someone to go beyond where we have reached? It's, it's a really interesting question, which is where this burden comes from. Because we desire to take our boys further, but how can you take someone further if you've never been there? And so as a result, it creates this tension inside of us in regards to this exact issue the impossible task it's hard enough to just be a christian man so have you ever noticed that when you start evaluating the different dimensions of how your life is supposed to work and i'm going to emphasize the word supposed to work we study scripture and we see how we are supposed to handle a marriage, for instance, or how we're supposed to be in a family, or how we're supposed to minister. Uh, we read Christian biography, or we study Fox's Book of Martyrs, and we see a template being set for something so far beyond where we're at, and so we have a tendency to look at our own life and spend all our energies trying to get the foundation here so that we can pass something along. You know, the old definition of a doctorate used to be 
that you would know something to such a level of excellence that you could impart it to someone so that they could reach the same level. Isn't that just an interesting statement? In other words, if you have a doctorate in something, that means you know it better than most people on planet Earth, right? But that you also have the ability to train people to reach that same level. Uh, Okay, that's what we desire. We desire to have doctorates in Jesus Christ. Not just that, not just that we have been formed into the likeness of Jesus Christ, that we have a grip on this, but that we are able to bring others unto such a level of excellence and strength. And so it's hard enough just to do this personally, let alone to build up people around us. And so this tension that I'm bringing up, is it's a manly tension, it's a father tension. And that is that we are entrusted with this vision this, this grand call, and yet we spend so much of our time just trying to stabilize ourselves, let alone trying to help someone else grow up. When you're a father, it is a very, very difficult thing to know how to, what, what measurement of time to give to your own walk with God, to give to your spouse, to give to your children, and then to give to a dying world. And if you give too much in any one sector, you are shortchanging the other sectors. And so as a result, it's very easy for a man of God to shortchange his marriage. Why? Because he's a man of God desirous to save a lost and dying world. But you know that you could shortchange your marriage by giving more time to your kids and neglect your spouse. Well, that's a funny problem to have, and not many people struggle with that, right? But any one of these, you could neglect your call into a lost and dying world because you're so paranoid about losing your family. Well, okay, I'm just creating the tensions is what I'm creating. This is the impossible. And I'm going to define it that way. What we are called to is actually impossible. The sooner we come to that conclusion, the better. Because with man, it is impossible. Okay, I'm going to let the rest of that scripture be filled in as we progress. The six arenas of the Christian man's life. So imagine trying to balance these six things. Your relationship with God. So a man has a relationship with God, and what should we expect from that relationship of God? Should we aim low? It's like, well, there's a lot of people with a relationship with God that isn't very impressive. I mean, I've been around a lot of Christians in my life that I would not want to trade my relationship with God with theirs, right? I want to go so much further than even I have in my relationship with God. So how about this? A heaven-come-to-earth devotional life with his God which could be everything from biblical study to prayer to scripture, understanding, you know, that he has a grip, he has a hold, he's intimately acquainted with God, he knows the voice of the Spirit of God, he waits in his presence, he has everything from not just the reading of scripture, but to the in-depth study of it, and then when he studies it, he grips it and is able to articulate it and give it. He has something that we all esteem, right? So this is just one of six arenas. And we desire to be an Olympic athlete that wins the gold in each one of these. Let's go to number two. His wife. A fairy tale, intimate relationship with his wife. If I were to ask you, okay, let's imagine that you get married someday. Now, I know that uh, some of you are. But if you were to get married someday what sort of relationship do you think God would intend you to have? Well, that's why I'm saying it's a fairy tale, intimate relationship. It is 
heaven come to earth. It's a revelation of the kingdom of heaven in as, as you spy out the intimate communications and love and affections between these two that there is something so beautiful and so profound. Okay, so I've just opened up two arenas in a man's life, his relationship with God and his relationship with his wife. Now I'm going through six of these. Each of these, to be gold medal winning, demands a tremendous amount of time. And so as these six begin to increase and we grow up from two sectors to six, you're going to start to feel very thin in being able to handle them. How about kids? So if you were entrusted with kids someday in your life, what sort of kids do you think you should raise? What sort of investment and quality of training do you desire to impart to them? You know, just sort of the skimpy, skim milk version. It's like, eh, they'll get along. You know, I, I didn't have much training in my growing up. They'll be fine. No, if you've been awakened by the king, your desire is to impart to them the good deposit, that they would see it, understand it, grip it. And to do this takes time. In fact, it take, takes an extraordinary amount of time, an amount of time that doesn't seem to be available in this life, especially if you're trying to cultivate a world-class relationship with your God, and you're trying to cultivate a fairy tale relationship with your wife, and now you have kids, and especially if those kids start multiplying like bunny rabbits. <laughs> Number four, friends and family. So I could ask you, do you feel that as a godly man or woman that you are only to cultivate your relationship with your God, your, your spouse, and your kids, and then you're going to have to ignore everyone else because you just don't have enough time. When in actuality, there is a dimension of community to the body of Christ that we're all familiar with, and we should not neglect it. It is something that we're supposed to cultivate. And if you're going to cultivate it, that means when you come together with the body, you need to be ready. You need to actually have something to give to them. You need to be praying for those around you. You need to be carrying their burdens. You following me? I mean, I don't know if you're starting to feel a little overwhelmed, but a little short of breath here as we begin to progress because these all take time. In fact, a shocking amount of time is required to do each of these well. So friends and family, to be kind, consistent, honorable, and thoughtful in your remembrance and service unto your friends and extended family members. Whew. I mean, we, just to cultivate this, if you have a, a family member, you know, usually it's a mom, who has a tendency to need a little more time out of your life than you may be giving right now, uh, oh, students at Ellerslie. <laughs> because, and it's hard, because, because you're trying to focus on Jesus, right? And you have social dynamics here. You don't even have, for most of the students, if not all the students right now, there's no, no married couples in here, right? So as a result, it's like you don't even have the spouse and the kids, and you're trying to figure out how to balance all these things, okay? Five, business. You see, as you progress in life and you go from young adult to adult, these responsibilities begin to crescendo. They mushroom. Because you are going from having someone else work for you and supply for you to suddenly the responsibility, especially as a man, falling squarely on your shoulders to actually have a business dimension of your life. 
And if you're going to have a business dimension of your life, let me ask you, how do you think God would intend you to handle that business dimension of your life? Slipshod, haphazard. No, you should do everything with excellence and great care. And if you're going to do what you do, you should do it as unto the Lord. And so as a result, there's a need for the business to have an uncompromising excellence and diligence in his business dealings and financial investments. You are to handle this dimension of your life with excellence. Now, if any of you have had a business or businesses, it takes a tremendous amount of time to tend to it, to deal with the bookkeeping, to deal with the marketing, to deal with the sales, the fulfillment. I mean, oh, and then they're just the business relationships. To keep them cultivated and sharp is a lot of work. Okay, you notice that this is only number five. I just keep adding them on. And by the way, number six is just about to kick into gear here. Can take more time than all of those put together. Number six, ministry. Hudson Taylor, like givenness to the preaching of the gospel and the practical rescue of the lost, the dying, the orphans, and the widows around him. Oh, so now I'm using Hudson Taylor as a sample. If you don't know who Hudson Taylor is, for those of you that are streaming, the students do. But he's, he's literally one of the models or the templates for missions work. He's the one that started the China Inland Mission. Just such a powerful picture of a life poured out for Jesus Christ. And we esteem it. Those of us in this room, we have such a high uh, impression, high opinion of this sort of givenness. But when you give yourself wholly, you know how much need there is in this world? You know how many lost people there are in this world? You think you have you know, quite a few kids that you need to spend time with? You know, start dealing with all the people that need to hear the gospel. Start dealing with all the people that are lying on the side of the road that need you as a good Samaritan to stop and help them. It can so overwhelm your soul the more you begin to press forward into the realities of what you are called to. And that's why it's, this, this message is critical because you are called to do something that actually a human cannot do. And you must do all of it as Christ would do it. So the problem that many of us deal with as modern Christians is we know that we have a calling. Very rarely are they laid out in the six arenas on a screen and then someone says exactly what I'm saying to you. You need to do those perfectly. We usually see one dimension at a time. So we see like a marriage. We're like, okay, I want to I do that well. And so we start living when we're single for a great marriage. Or then when we get married, we're like, okay, how do I do this? This is taking a lot of time. Boy, this is, this is harder than I thought. And it can. It can consume your life to maintain a marriage, which of course makes sense why Paul would say, hey guys, I wish you were more like me so you weren't distracted with all of this, right? And that, that's not a criticism of marriage because marriage is a calling, just like Someone going to China and dealing with the lost in China, it's a calling and obedience is requisite. However, to recognize that these things each have time constraints to them. They have time demands on them. If you are going to handle these arenas of your life well, and you dig in your own pockets and your own abilities to solve the riddle of the six arenas, you're going to run into some challenges. So here's what I'm going to say. I just gave you six arenas, and I'm going to say that you in your human capacity have, and this is just my guess, okay, out of all my thinking and rumination on this over the years, that you can possibly do maybe 2.5 well. Okay, you have, you have strength for, in the natural man to handle about 2.5 of six, which means now you can break it up and you can give a 0.25 over here. 
Okay, and you can give a 0.75 over here. I'm just saying you have 2.5 capacity. Now, some of you could argue that and say, I did a scientific study and I came to 2.125. And I go, okay, that's, that's fine. I'm just giving a round number, not necessarily a scientific piece of information. And maybe some are more, have more capacity. One guy has 3.1 and someone else has 1.2. I don't know. And, of course, you might be thinking, I'm the 1.2. <laughs> but... The issue that we are facing is we do not mathematically have the capacity to meet the demands put upon our life. What God intended this life to do and to accomplish is bigger than what we can accomplish in our own natural strength. So how, how are we supposed to do this? When this is where modern Christianity comes in and dumbs it down to 2.5. Well, God didn't actually intend you to do that. God, oh, God gives grace for that. He doesn't actually expect you to do this. See, that's the message of our modern era, which excuses us from the life of the supernatural. You see, God intends us to do something that we can't do, which leads to a crux crisis issue. Okay, God, I either believe that you want this to happen in my life, or I'm going to come to the conclusion that it's impossible and therefore I will excuse myself from any of that uh, pressure and desire. For you must face the facts that it is impossible to do it all if you can only do 2.5 areas. So I'm going to give you some facts to face, two of them. One is the facts of natural law. The impossible is simply impossible. That, you know that that's actually a fact in natural law? That's why it's called impossible. That means according to natural law, it can't happen. You can't float, for instance. Natural law would state the law of gravity and your human mass is such that you would not float. And so if you said, I'd like to float, natural law would say you can't. Okay, now if you went into some kind of uh, alternate anti, or I don't know what it's called, anti-gravity machine, I don't know what, if that's what it's called, but where there's no gravity, you'd float around like you were in space, that's one thing, okay? But According to natural law in our universe, you can't. <clears throat> so here's, here's Jesus' way of saying this. With men, this is impossible. Or how about this in Mark 10, 27? With men, it is impossible. So if we stop there, because that's actually, there's dot, dot, dots after that. See, there's more to the statement. However, that's where many of us are stopping. We're stopping with Matthew 19, 26 and Mark 10, 27, in the very front end of the statement, with man, this is impossible. But we have also another fact, and we're going to call it the facts of heavenly law. With God, nothing is impossible. Just imagine, now, we, we've spent so much of our life emphasizing, with man, this is impossible. Imagine if you sort of downplay that. It's like, well, then why does that even matter? Because there's a higher law. It's like me panicking that a plane can't fly me because gravity declares that I cannot fly. And so you keep saying, but there's a plane. Yeah, but gravity states that I can't fly. Yeah, but what about the plane? It functions after a higher law. But gravity, <laughs> it doesn't make any sense to emphasize gravity if there's something greater than gravity that has come. Something greater than gravity has come to us. The law of aerodynamics, or the plane, has been supplied. So I recognize that with man, it is impossible to fly. But with this plane, it can be achieved. And so as a result, as we begin to 
grab that, you begin to recognize that, yes, you cannot do this. In your own pocket strength, you cannot match the calling that God has put upon your life. But you didn't think that this was something you were going to pull off, did you? If you've heard the gospel shared over and over and time and again, here at Ellerslie, you know one thing to be true, and that is, you can't, he can This is a God dimension of life that is opening up. You see, if you want to have a relationship with God, have you ever thought about having God help you with that? Isn't that a funny thought? We always think it's up to us to have the great relationship with God as opposed to God. I need you to give me grace to have a relationship with you. I need you to spark, to be the wind in the sails because otherwise I'm just dead in the water. Carry me forward, supernaturally. One of the statements that Leslie's dad told me right in the very beginning of my relationship with Leslie is he was saying, it didn't have anything to do with my relationship with Leslie, it was a principle of life. He said, when you give first things to God, he multiplies them throughout your day. So you accomplish a supernatural amount when you place him first. When you, try, when you get up in the morning and you say, oh, I have too much to do so I don't have time for God, you actually can't get it done. But when you take the very beginning of your day and say, God, I need something supernatural in order to accomplish what I have today, so here's the very beginnings of my day, my first fruits. I give them to you so that you could supernaturally accomplish what you need to in my day. And as a result, even though it seems backwards, to take time when you really have deadlines and give them to God, that God is going to take that offering and he's going to turn it into something that works. So here's the uh, Luke 1.37. With God, nothing shall be impossible. Matthew 19.26. With God, all things are possible. Going after the impossible. Building an everyday boy into a man who alters the course of history. So if I were to look down at my, look down, look at my sons and say, all right, I want them to be built into men that change the course of history. How am I going to do that? Well, that's sort of daunting for Eric, who doesn't have a lot of time to invest in such a project. Now imagine that that's all I do. Okay, if it's all I do is I trim out maybe my relationship with God. Maybe I trim out my relationship with my wife. Maybe I trim out, you know, business, ministry, and all I do is focus on my boys. You know that I will actually uh, sabotage their development in so doing? (laughs) I could invest all that time, but they're going to watch my relationship with God. They're going to watch my relationship with my wife. They're going to watch how I handle business. They're going to watch how I give a poured out life. They're going to watch how I interrelate with family and friends. And I'm setting a template for how they would change the course of history in all of it. So do you see the tension that a man has? If he's going to do this well, he has to be balanced in all these areas. You see, I am imbalanced the moment I trim out ministry, the moment I trim out all these other things to just focus on my family, because that's still not healthy for my family to just be like an ingrown toenail and only focus on our needs and our stuff. It sounds very noble, and it is for seasons. There are times when I need to say no to this so I could be with my family, right? And there could be a season where I say, I'm saying no to everything just so I could regain a foundation with my God, my wife, and my kids. Totally reasonable. But that's not the long story of our life. The long story is the reason you take that season is so you can be balanced and healthy again and turn outward. In other words, we're not supposed to be an ingrown toenail. So the tensions that we face, if we're going after the impossible, is I can't just eliminate everything else 
and invest into one area just because, oh, well, that's the one area that I think is most important. Actually, to even be effective in that area, I need to be balanced in all the other areas, which is a, a real challenge, okay? Because some of us could say, I'm not going to worry about business, you know, all that. I, I don't care about money. I don't care about all of that. I'm just going to focus over here. And you'll find that it'll create a crisis over here, which takes your attentions off of what you're trying to do in your super spiritualized way of handling things. There is still a necessity of that balance in our life to tend to these things, not with fear and anxiety, but with God's grace. So I'm going to go through a list of seven things that if I was going to say, what would I desire to build into my son? Okay, And so this is giving you a vision of the marvel of manliness at the same time. Number one, a boy of unimpeachable honor. Not just a well-mannered boy, but a truly noble boy who behaves with regal honor and heavenly decorum. So we're not just talking about a boy who sits at the table, sits up straight, and knows how to set the table where the spoon and knife and fork go and where the glass goes on the table. He doesn't burp at the table. You know, he puts his napkin on his lap. It's not just well-mannered. It's a truly noble boy who behaves with regal honor and heavenly decorum. He is filled with the Holy Spirit. A boy who walks in stride with God, who knows his God, and then exhibits that same honor. Number two, the boy of uncompromising restraint. Not just a boy who can treat a girl with respect, but preserve her with his every thought. Number three, the boy ever prepared for disaster. Not just a boy scout, but one ready to endure the most extreme privations, difficulties, and sufferings with adroitness and enthusiasm. In other words, he's a soldier. And he actually delights in being a soldier. He's a happy soldier from a young age. Number four, four, the boy of unflinching gospel force. Not just a boy that prays a salvation prayer, but one who brings the full gospel to the nations and refuses to stop preaching even when threatened with death. Do you imagine building a boy like that? Doesn't that excite you? It's like not just one who prays a salvation prayer. It's like, oh, well, he's a Christian. I, I just am so thankful that my son has accepted Christ. Well, praise God, I agree. But how about one who brings the full gospel to the nations? Could you imagine a young boy who's like, Dad, I must go. Dad, I must speak. Well, son, they'll kill you if you do. I know. But someone must speak. How will they know unless they hear? Oh, see, this is the vision. This is the vision. And by the way, I'm just going to remind you, this is an impossible vision. It's not something you can do as a father. This is not something that we can just easily inculcate into our children. This is something that is divine. As divine as it is for you to live your life in a balanced way, so it is divine to impart. Number five, the boy fit for battle. Not just a boy that looks sculpted in the mirror but one built strong and fit to tackle the most formidable obstacles of physical challenge. In other words, he's strong, he's healthy, he's ready to do whatever God would ask him to do. Number six, the boy skilled for every task. Not just a boy who knows how to use his iPhone, but one that is built to problem solve and practically help in any and every situation. I have a massive limitation on, in the way I was uh, cultivated and grown up as a, as a man, and that is that I was taught to get a high-level high education, make a lot of money so I could pay other people to do this, uh, this type of a thing, as opposed to a man then becomes dependent upon others as opposed to being in any situation, being able to address it and to help. If a tire needs to be changed, it's not like, well, 
let me give a call to the uh, local tow company and, and I can pay for it, you know, <laughs> which is noble as opposed to just being able to bend your knee and take the tire off and put a new tire on. In other words, there's, there's a dimension of manhood that can easily be stunted because of the lack of time that can be involved in it. Number seven, the boy who knows what it means to be a man. Not just a boy that understands the distinctions of maleness, but one who fully understands and embraces the extraordinary difficult, extraordinarily difficult calling of heavenly manhood. So remember, with men this is impossible. With God all things are possible. There is a version of living in this body, in our relationship with God, in our relationship with our spouse, whether that's current spouse or future, a way of relating to our children, a way of relating to friends, family, the body of Christ, a way of relating with our resources, our finances, uh, and a way of uh, relating with lost and dying people. And they are demanding. It will exact everything out of you. And in and of your own pockets, you do not have what you need. But if I were to say, but do you have that which you need? Yes. How do you have that which you need? By faith. Faith in what? His word. And the way that Paul says that very simply is faith in Christ, or he has it in Christ. You see, if you're in Christ, you have everything that you need for life and for godliness. Everything. So the question is, when you face impossibilities like this, this message is only just drudging them up and bringing them to the surface and having to stand before this giant because this is one tall giant that is mocking us. It's like, you're supposed to overcome me. You're supposed to be greater than this. And we stand in the shadow of this massive calling. And we say, my God is greater. My God has told me to go in and take the land. My God will go before me and behind me. He is able to do it. This is the Caleb Joshua faith. You see, there's a whole bunch that failed. There's 10 other spies that went into the land and they spied out, this, we could call it the six arenas of a man's life and said, but that's impossible. There's walled cities that reach up to the heavens. There's giants amongst them. We look like grasshoppers in their sight. And so as a result, to recognize that there is a need to defy the impossible, defy the walled cities, defy the giants. This is God's territory. You're on his business. It's funny because I opened up, after putting together my, uh, my message for this morning, I opened up streams in the desert, and the scripture was, nothing shall be impossible for our God. Uh, and, I mean, there were some great quotes in that, too. I wish I had the ability to just draw that out right now, but uh, we'll leave that uh, for you to dig up. But it's, uh, it was really beautiful. So the levels of training. This is how most people think. So you have bad uh, parenting, for instance, Poor parenting, mediocre, decent, good, and then there's great parenting, right? So I'd like to change our grid because most of us are coming in, you know, it's like if we can aim for a B in all of these different areas, then we've, you know, we have a 3.0 and you usually can still get into college. That's the way most of us are in Christianity too. We're sort of aiming for the B average because that's, you know, good enough. And so as a result, many of us may not be great in our walk with God, but hey, we're good. Many of us aren't great in our marriages, but hey, we're good. Many of us aren't great in raising our kids, but hey, I mean, good is pretty, pretty good, guys. I mean, that's why the word good is there. I mean, it's good. 
and you, you can follow through all these things. If you could just be good in these areas, wouldn't that be amazing? I'd like to change and uh, just wholly alter this list. I think it stinks is what I, what I think. So let's expand our vision. Good is at the bottom. It's like a failure. <laughs> as far as, it's like the, the teacher comes up with your, your test and sets it down and goes, hmm, and it says good on it. You know, and that's like, oh, that's terrible. We're not aiming for good. We're not aiming to get by. We have one shot at this thing called life. You have access to the grace of God to do this thing. Don't aim for good. So great is sort of like the sea, you know. Uh, and then world impacting, you know, that's not bad. You know, that's like the, the, what B used to be, you know, back in this other one. Now that's, you know, just sort of like, but here, we're altering the course of history, also known as changing the world. So what do you want to do in your walk with God? Well, I want to change the world. What do you want to do in your marriage? Well, I want to change the world. What do you want to do in raising your kids? I want to change the world. What do you want to do in your relationship with the body of Christ? Change the world. What do you want to do with your resources? Change the world. What do you want to do in ministry? Change the world. Doesn't that just spike something in your soul? It's like, yeah. Why would we aim low when we serve the God who is so high? Why would we aim into the dirt? It's because most of us are looking at our own capacity instead of God's capacity. The endless frontier, parenting, you could just say living, from a whole new paradigm. So if any of you remember the endless frontier mentality, it's, it's basically uh, you've gone one step into an endless frontier, and yet you could be 99.9%, uh, you could be ahead of 99.99999% of the rest of the human race, but never pitch your tent. You see, when you have that vision that there's an endless frontier out in front of you, and most people in this world have never even taken one step into the possibilities of what God desires to do in and through the life of a man or a woman. You have, but you've only taken one step. What if you were to keep going every day into more and more of his grace, more and more into the depths of what he is able to do instead of what you are able to do? Watch out, world. So change the world parenting. The modern mentality is poor parenting versus good parenting. So there's bad parenting and there's good parenting, right? Well, you know what? The serious Christian mentality is the exact same thing. There's good parenting and there's great parenting. We've just upgraded it a little. You know, you have the good over here, and then, but you have the great. So the good is the enemy of the best, if you've ever heard that. Well, I would just like to upgrade this to the defy the impossible mentality. There's great parenting, we're not aiming for that. We're aiming to change the world. We're aiming to bring that mentality into our walk with God. We're aiming to bring that mentality into our marriages. We're aiming to bring that mentality into the raising of our children. We're aiming to bring that mentality into our relationships with the body of Christ. We're aiming to bring that mentality into how we handle our resources. We're aiming to bring that mentality into how we pour out our life and give to this lost and dying world. Father, I ask that you would spark something inside of us, a greater vision, the manly vision, the vision of something more, that we would not subside into mediocrity 
as believers, that we would not look to our own capacity and measure our expectations based on that, but that we would look to your capacity and measure our expectations according to that. Lord, you are able to do that which we cannot do. And you have called us to these things. Therefore, it is only logical that we should aim for them, that we should go after them and know that you will back us up. Your wind will fill our sails and carry us forward. Lord, we trust you, love you, and yield to you. It's in the precious name we pray. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder is delivered live and streamed daily weekdays at 8.15 a.m. and weekends at 9.15 a.m. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellerslie.com. Thanks for listening. Thank <laughs> you.